I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Well, hello. And welcome to the first in a new podcast series called Achtung Radio. My name is Nick Hart. You're listening to an idea that I had that um, I've developed out of our sister podcast, Achtung Millwall, for those who are um, not Millwall fans and happen to find themselves listening to this podcast. An idea I had to look at newspapers of the past on this day in the past. I hope it's an idea that uh, you find interesting. The day, the years are selected at random from the past, and the newspapers arrive courtesy of the British Newspaper Archive, which is a wonderful website. I recommend it. It does cost to join it and to enrol on there, but it's well worth it. The um, old newspapers are fascinating. If you share my love of old newsprint, do subscribe if you have the, the spare cash to the British Newspaper Archive. It's wonderful, wonderful stuff. So the recording of this show, dear listeners, is March the 1st, and the random year that's been selected by random.org is 1946. So today's paper that I'm looking at is the Daily Herald, dated March the 1st, 1946. It was a Friday. Um, the Daily Herald is an interesting newspaper in itself, um, a daily newspaper, as the name implies, published um, from 1912 to 1964, and it would bizarrely um, become the sun in the pre-Rupert Murdoch era. The Daily Herald would transform itself into the sun in the early 1960s, um, and then obviously the rest is history once Rupert Murdoch bought the name and title in the late 60s and then turned it into the behemoth that it became in the 70s and 80s. But the Daily Herald was notable prior to that, for being a Labour Party-supporting national newspaper. It included a number of um, top top writers, top uh, top columnists, and Michael Foote is in this 
particular edition that we're looking at here today. But I'm not going to start with all the heavy stuff. I've always, I don't know how you treat your newspapers, dear listener. I've always started and opened them up on the sports pages. I start at the back and work my way forwards. Some call that irrational. That's just the way it is for me. So I'm going to be looking at the sports pages on the back of the Daily Herald dated March the 1st, 1946. Obviously, just what, eight months after the end of the war in Europe? Just a few months after the end of the war against Japan in 1945, the dropping of the atomic bomb. The Labour government had been elected in the June election, um, throwing out Winston Churchill and the, the national government that had seen us through the tough years of, of the Second World War. And the Labour government of Clement Attlee had taken power. Austerity prevailed at this point. Football, as detailed on the back page, not a huge amount of sports news, incidentally, on this in this edition. Just one quarter of the back page, a four-page edition, because austerity, in a nutshell, meant the country was broke after six years, six long years of the Second World War. I think add that to the combined impact of the First World War, the country was on the brink, financial brink. It cost everything. The struggle for freedom cost everything. Football was still in the wartime zone of scratch teams, largely. There, there was football organised during the Second World War, often with guest players, um, servicemen in the area who could play football, would often turn out for the local sides, irrespective of their professional allegiance. And 1945-46 was the last season of what we might call wartime football. The Football League had been reorganised into a Football League North and South division, Many clubs were just using guest players still. Um, that would change the following 46-47 season. But at this point, we are still talking about wartime guest-based football. So the big story on this day, 1st of March 1946, is a big cup tie at Charlton. Charlton will be playing Brentford. Charlton will wait until the last minutes, is the report. Brief report. I say not an awful lot of sports news to be had. There's a lot of other things going on in the world at this point. Um, snow had befallen the country, so the state of the pitch will decide whether um, Arthur Turner or Ravel leads the Charlton attack in the big cup battle, the FA Cup, War Cup, at the Valley tomorrow. That will be on March the 2nd, 1946. Fitness tests for two different strikers there. That game would finish a dramatic 6-3 win for Charlton who would actually go on to make the cup final of 1945-46. They made the cup final in two years in succession at that point. 46-47 would be the year they would actually win the FA Cup. This would be the sixth, fifth season of the FA Challenge Cup. Played unusually that season on a two-legged basis because of the privations of wartime football. This was the only competition to ever feature traditional knockout format was, was dispensed with. And it was done over two legs all the way through to the semi-finals. And then the final was a one-off, as as is traditional. Charlton would lose that game 4-1 after extra time at Wembley Stadium. The competition was also notable that year for the Burnham Park disaster. 33 people tragically crushed to death in the Bolton-Stoke City tie. So that's the big story on the back page of the Daily Herald. In another story, Joe Davis... Uh, Joe Davis was beaten by his brother, I should say, 150 to naught, but was leading overall in a match in Manchester, 28 frames to 20. Joe Davis was the the big name of snooker. Um, 
I remember Pop Black starting in the was that in the seventies or the early eighties. One of the first efforts at televising Snoop and Fred Davis, his brother, was um, was featured in that program. Very old at that at that point, but still sharp on on the snooker table. His brother Joe is the the name really who was credited with forming modern day professional snooker and billiards. Billiards has never really made it onto TV, has it? Um, as he's described here in his Wikipedia entry, Joe Davis, 1901 to 1978, a dominant figure in snooker from the 1920s to the 1950s, and is credited with inventing aspects of the way the game is now played, such as break building. Um, he never actually made, I never saw him play, he was obviously passed away before the advent of Pop Black, um, which was in, was in black and white, I think, at the, in the early early years. Colour television really transformed the prospects for, for snooker, obviously. I do remember seeing Fred Davis, his brother, um, play on Pop Black. And uh, as the sentence here has it, his younger brother, Fred, was the only person ever to ever beat Joe Davis in a competitive snooker match without receiving a start. He would give away starts. And in this particular report, in actual fact, um, that makes sense. Fred Davis received a two black start. As I had two blacks... And Joe was only allowed to play with one. I don't know how that would work, dear listeners. It's an intriguing idea. He was given the head start, basically. World champion Joe Davis. Um, one, two, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve times. World champion 13 times, dear listeners. A professional snooker player, 1919 to 1964. Elsewhere, I had to laugh at this little point. Um... Another report, just a paragraph. How PAYE affects the Cup stars. Um, players in the tomorrow's FA Cup matches um, are affected by the PA pay as you earn tax system. A full time professional earning £9 a week will be entitled to £17 for the game. But if he's a single man, PAYE will reduce his takings to £10, 11 shillings and sixpence. I'm sure I'm following the logic of that. Anyway, that's the, that's the paragraph. PAYE hitting. Major football stars in the pockets. Hard lines on them. So to the front page, Daily Herald, Labour supporting newspaper. It would have been broadly supportive of the Attlee government. And the banner headline is, in fact, in this era of post-war austerity, the country looking to rebuild. The main story is workers to share in prosperity. This is a kind of a cooperative approach to industry put forward by the government. Um, I don't know that ever really took hold. Um, all set for the great pull-together drive. Rewards of bigger output, it says here. Jobs for all, promises the uh, Home Secretary, Herbert Morrison. Good stuff when it come to pass. Kind of and kind of not, I suppose. Elsewhere on the front page, we see the beginnings of what would become... Cold War, um, US Secretary of State in the United Nations organization um, in New York, referring to the need to cast out loose talk of the inevitability of war with the Soviet Union. Obviously, this is March 1946, the European War would have been 10 months ended, but already we are reading here the seeds of what will become the Cold War. We need to get the conditions for peace, says John Burns, denouncing loose talk that war is inevitable. Um, but elsewhere on the front page, we see that Russia is, or the Soviet Union, I suppose, Russia used loosely here, 
is looking to win a military base in the Greek islands off the coast of Turkey. Um, that wouldn't come to pass. The eventual deal would be that there would be spheres of influence. Eastern Europe would pass into the um, the, the the Soviet sphere of influence, the circle of um, areas where their, their rip would prevail. And that wouldn't include Greece. That would um, fall into the Western sphere of influence. So no Soviet base in, in the Greek islands off the coast of Turkey, as was feared on in this front page. Elsewhere, the British, the British Empire is quitting Persia. British troops would leave Persia in accordance with a 1942 treaty, which undertook to withdraw British troops, as Soviet troops would also withdraw northwards in their case, upon six months after the conclusion of the war that is being done. And there's also reports that Mr Molotov assured Mr Bevin, the British Foreign Secretary, that the Russian withdrawal would also be completed within the, 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 um, the period laid down. But you do get a sense of the harsh winter being endured by the country. Snow on the floor, as we've said with the football already. The Daily Herald's cartoon refers to the spirit of rebuilding. Um, so there's a cartoon here of a British soldier, bayonet fixed and, and, and helmet. Um, toil. And, and the, the blood and toil is, is, the blood part is crossed out. That's just toil and sweat now. The blood and tears have gone, says the cartoon. Now it's time to work for prosperity. Tough times indeed, the country very much on, on its back foot. And in, in conclusion, just on the same note, really, there's a final article on the back page regarding um, a British judge in the Indian Madras High Court, a Mr Justice Byers having to shoot his way, literally out, shooting with a revolver, shooting his way out of a mob during Tuesday's Madras riots. It was revealed last night. Um, at an inquest on the victim of the riots, the judge said he fired three times in an attempt to escape from the mob, but he didn't intend to shoot any particular person. The verdict was returned that the death was caused by a shot by, fired by the judge. I presume um, he's not. <laughs> he's not. He didn't go down for that. I, I'm, I'm going to guess, dear listener, um, hinting at the chaos that was overtaking India at this point. 1946 March independence would be promised by Clement Attlee within two weeks. So there we are. Um, as chaos would would take a grip of the country in the aftermath of the Second World War, British withdrawal inevitable and British judges having to shoot their way literally out of the High Court to, to get back to their, their, their residence. Full independence would follow the, uh, the following year, 1947, to this, this particular story. So it gives a hint of the, of the chaotic sense of the times in India. There's a total offshoot here. Looking at the back page, we have the, um, the winning trap numbers for the Greyhound tracks of London, and it's incredible to see how many Greyhound stadiums there were in London at that time. Catford, Clapton, Hackneywick, Haringey, Newcross, Stamford Bridge was a was a Greyhound Stadium, as well as a football stadium. Walthamstow, of course, which the frontage still exists. Wandsworth is long gone. Wembley Stadium featured um, Greyhound racing, of course. West Ham Stadium's gone. White City's gone, and Wimbledon has now been replaced by the new AFC Wimbledon Stadium. So there we are. I hope that interesting please do let me know if you like this format or if it doesn't work for you i'd be interested to hear any 
reaction. Um, but for the moment, that is our daily look on this day, March the 1st, 1946. And that was the Daily Herald. Thank you for listening to this Akdong radio show. My name is Nick Hart. And we'll be back again tomorrow, I hope. Until then, bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.